Hey, guys, we're back again at the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. This is Jacob Bynum. And with me today, again, as usual, is David Thomas. How's it going, David? Hey, Jacob, how's it going? I guess it's been about a week or two since we've done one of these. I think it's been about a week and a half, man. I started to get that itch about, man, we need to do a podcast. We need to do a podcast. And so I, I enjoy these so much. And I really enjoy that everybody's out there listening to us and getting good feedback on it. Uh, yeah, we're actually uh, making some some numbers there. I got a report that we made it to the top 200 in the how-to category on uh, the U.S. not long ago. Really? Yeah, yeah. I just got that email a couple days ago. Okay, and we're in some, some other countries too, right? Uh, yeah, we're Australia, Canada, uh, Thailand. Some I don't, Thailand. I don't know yeah, I don't know what's going on in Thailand, but they're listening. You got any? You got any like time that you spent in Thailand? Uh, yeah, but it's been a while, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very cool. Well, very cool. Well, listen, the uh, Rifles Only Accuracy podcast. I've got a, I've got a list. I mean, a whole page full of notes here, stuff I want to talk about today. Um, but you know, we're everything center fire and rim fire, and just the guiding principle of what we do at this podcast and at Rifles Only and all our classes and everything else is we just want to make better shooters. And so um, we have the topic we had covered quite a few of the things, you know, uh, on the fundamentals of larkmanship, and so. Today, I wanted to talk about follow through and it is, it's kind of, um, it kind of comes at the right time because of all the memes on the internet about being a trigger slapper. Oh yeah. So they, uh, I guess the podcaster too, uh, set some things off down here. It's pretty interesting. Close <laughs> <Well>, or not, <laughs> but, uh, it, it started talking about, you know, trigger slapping and, and follow through is the exact opposite of trigger slapping. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we just needed to to kind of get that we've talked about other things that are related to follow through because obviously you can't have good trigger control unless you have good follow through. But I always say, you know, that, um, I had a, I had a situation out here at rifles only, uh, years ago, uh, the Corpus Christi SWAT team will come out here with their snipers, you know, pretty, pretty often they'll do their, they'll do their qualification and they'll have a training topic that they're going to cover that day. Uh, it could be, it could be anything, you know, anything all law enforcement snipery, but it's kind of cool to sit in and listen with those guys. But, uh, on occasion, what they'll do is they'll bring the entire team. And so one time what they did, and I don't think I've talked about this. I don't think I've talked about the explosive breaching on the podcast. Have I, Dave? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar, no. Okay, yeah. So anyway, um, they came in with a trailer. The whole team was coming. And so they were going to practice different kinds of breaching into our, our kill house over here. Mm -hmm. And so at, um, you know, they brought they brought uh, these big hooks that they had on the, on the Bearcat. So they pulled down fences and then, you know, the explosives guy was there. And so I didn't, I don't really have the opportunity on occasion or at all to spend any time with explosive breachers. So I was like, I was like that little six-year-old kid that keeps asking, you know, questions. Why, mm -hmm. why? <laughs> Just, I couldn't get enough of it. But anyway, he was telling me about, okay, now here's this charge right here. And, and what's going to happen is I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the door like this. And he says, this is directed charge. He says, so whenever it goes, you're going to see about a million pieces of doors down that hallway, but there's not going to be anything on this side. And I thought, oh, cool, man. So I pulled out my phone. I said, so I can stand right here and video this. And he moved me about, he says, you can stand right there. I said, okay, fine. So he goes off, uh, you know, they, they, they breach the door. The explosion happened. Uh, the, the team goes in, they do their business and everything else. And at the end of the exercise, the breacher comes over or the, uh, the explosive guy comes over to me and he says, Hey man, let me see that video. I said, cool, man. So I pulled it up and I let him watch it. He goes, man, he says, you didn't even flinch whenever that charge went off. Mm -hmm. And I thought, so by the time I knew that I was supposed to flinch, it was over. Oh, it's too late. You know, it was too late. It was too late. And there was a reason I didn't flinch because it was just, it happened so fast. And I mean, I knew exactly when it was coming. And, you know, when it comes to a precision rifle, uh, I can flinch with the best of them. You know what I mean? I got to work on that. You know, I got to work oh, yeah. on, you know, 
watching my watching my reticle through the shot process, you know, treating the treating the shot like it's a speed bump, you know, driving the gun all the way through it. Because if I don't, I will fall back into that thing. You know, I'll start I'll start to develop a flinch again and mm-hmm. not even realize about ten rounds and say, ah, oh, you know what, Jacob, you're flinching. So I got to go back and you know, magazine off the gun, make it clear and safe, and start back to the dry fire because that's where I always go back to. But at any rate, you know, I was thinking about, you know, why was he surprised that I didn't flinch? Mm-hmm. And so I said, there's got to be something here because I flinch with the rifle. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll definitely, I got to work. That's something I got to work on, you know, to make sure I'm not flinching. And anyway, I started thinking about it. I thought, well, you know, what we deal with is just roughly a 2,800 foot per second environment. Does that mm-hmm. make sense to you? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the same thing. I mean, if I'm, if I'm shooting a 308, and you have two bullets in your hand, and I don't know which is which, and one is 168 and one is 175. I mean, I can shoot it, and I can tell you which one it is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that was the heavier bullet because, you know, I know I know the beginning, the middle, and the end of that shot process. It's like I'm aware of when that bullet exits the muzzle. You know, mm-hmm. I'm aware of it. But whenever it came to that breach, now we're talking about a 28,000 foot per second environment. Mm-hmm. It's 10 times faster. You know, the, the rate of explosion, you see what I mean? The, the rate of burn on those explosives he was using. So him, you know, being, you know, a, a, an expert at this, who has done it, you know, in the military and then now for a police department, um, he could tell the beginning, the middle and end of that explosion. To me, it was just so fast. I couldn't even tell, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a lesson in there. And what, what we're seeing is, you know, they're saying, okay, well, we don't really have to follow through, you know, because the bullet is only in the barrel for, you know, point whatever seconds or whatever. But those point whatever seconds that it's in the barrel, those things count. You oh, know what I mean? Time counts. Yeah, time that counts. And it means something. And it, it just goes back to, um, you know, what I've, I've spoken about it several times. You know, I, I've gone out and, and I, took, I took the 22, you know, and I'm over here and I'm shooting at 50 yards and I've got a really good one. And it's just like stacking one bullet on top of the other. And then I started saying, well, you know what, let's play with the fundamentals and see what happens. You know what I mean? And so if I would slap that trigger and not follow through, it, the rounds, they would show up downrange. You know, it would come out of, I'm not only shooting at 50 yards, but it might hop out, you know, uh, three quarters of an inch or an inch, mm-hmm. you know, to the side. Yeah. And strictly because I was slapping the trigger and not following through. I also tried, you know, breaking a different shot, shots in my breathing or parts of my breathing cycle. And I would get the vertical stringing, you know, on that. Mm-hmm. So the fundamentals obviously count and follow through is part of them. Now, follow through is a fundamental. I did not invent the fundamentals. I'm just trying to get better at them and make people better at the fundamentals because fundamentals been putting metal to meat for centuries. But follow through is one of the very, very important ones. And whenever you break it down, we have to think, you know, what's going to happen whenever this gun goes off or whenever I'm going to break the trigger. So I typically shoot two stage triggers and, you know, I'll take up my first stage, you Mm -hmm. know, while I'm getting my breathing cycle. And then whenever I have to go through that second stage, you know, I'm at the bottom of my breathing cycle. And then what happens is the firing pin is going to go forward. It's going to hit the primer. The primer is going to ignite because it's a friction device. It's going to blow flame into the cartridge case where the powder is going to begin to burn and then it's going to build up enough pressure to actually unseat the bullet from the cartridge neck and it's going to go forward a fraction of an inch and then it's going to run into the rifling and pressure is going to build behind it and it's going to go down the barrel picking up hundreds of thousands of revolutions to the right before it pops out of the end you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so that takes time and one of the things that you know i always always uh you know kind of relate follow through to is Whenever I first started with this, there were no slope bases. And so 
the uh, you know the the rifle you know is very very popular gun at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Remington seven hundred PSS. You know, Leopold Very X three. You know, oh, yeah. three and a half. You know, straight mill dots that adjusted in MOA. That was it. But they all had flat bases. And so what I would do is I would go to the auto parts store and get feeler gauges, you know, that you adjust spark plugs mm-hmm. with. I would pull out the one that was 0. 0.014, 14 thousandths of an inch. And I would loosen up the rear of the base. You know, I'd cut a little slip out of it just to make a shim. I would loosen up the ass into the base, slip that under there, then tighten it back down. But essentially what I was doing was making a slope base. Right. And what I would do was that 14 thousandths of an inch would give me an extra 20 minutes at 100 yards. And so whenever you look at things in those terms, it's a wonder that we hit anything with rifles at all. You I was actually I mean? talking to somebody about the the other day, like how much, how little movement we have to have that translates into a lot of uh, linear uh, measurement down range. And it's just, it's a, it's a miracle that we can do what we can do. Oh, I, I agree. And that's the thing. And part of that is, you know, and I, I've explained it like this for years, but whenever you come back on that trigger, hold it to the rear. Because for lack of a better term, you need to become a piece of dead meat behind that gun. Mm-hmm. If you're coming off of that trigger, just that finger coming off the trigger is going to cause movement to go into your weapon. And so we don't want to do that. That's why we want to follow through. Now, as time goes by and, you know, you become accustomed to this. And so, you know, the whole thing with Mr. Miyagi, you know, wax on, wax off. And, you know, it kind of gets your, uh, I don't know, if you, maybe that's, maybe you're too young. To no, uh, no, I'm unfortunately old enough for that. <laughs> But at any rate, whenever we, we're practicing something, we always say that we have to go slow before we can go fast. And then by the time we're going fast, we don't even realize that we're going fast because we have the movement perfected. You know, it's, it's perfected. Lindy says it all the time. He's quoting someone and uh, they say, you know, uh, amateurs practice until they can do it right. And professionals practice until they cannot do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And that goes, you know, neural pathways, motor programs that you have in your brain. And so... <clears throat> That little follow through, I always tell, you know, my, you know, the beginner students and everything else, hold that trigger to the rear until you see the result of your shot down range, then come off the gun. And Lindy has a drill to where whenever you're bringing the hand off the gun, the last thing to leave the gun is your trigger finger. Mm -hmm. And then you just run the bolt, get set for the next shot. And then whenever you, you hold that trigger to the rear through the shot cycle, and whenever you release your hand, you release your three fingers first, then you go up, you start making that movement towards the bolt with the last thing leaving the gun being your trigger finger. And um, it, it's, a, it's a really good way to look at it. It's a really good, you know, uh, teaching node there. Mm-hmm. But follow through is absolutely vital. And I, I've just I've just seen it too many times, you know, that especially out on like shooting moving targets and you know it's all you know what the first rule of moving targets is you know calm down Mm -hmm. and then people will go over there and they'll start running the fundamentals okay but they're still they're still slapping that trigger because they want to get to that bolt get off another shot you know and i tell them slow down slow down slow down and then finally i'll tell them i say hey make this shot don't come off the trigger until i tell you and this is during a moving target sequence and they'll pull back make the shot ding i said now remove your finger and it's like the light bulb goes off because we know that inconsistent trigger press and lack of follow through is going to cause those rounds to move in the horizontal format. The other thing that'll do it is wind. And then now on shooting movers, now we're going to move the target side to side. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think follow through is something that <clears throat> is not giving near enough attention as it needs. No, I agree. I see it, uh, every match. I go to probably anywhere from one to three matches a month and, and it's probably, 
either the trigger slap or the trigger, I don't know, pretty much the same thing, but that bounce, you know, they hit it, they, they bounce off of the trigger and they're going to their bolt. That's probably the number one thing that just watching yeah. people that I see. Yeah. That's just trigger slapping man. Yeah. It's all the same. And then you're talking about drills. Like I, I, most of my dry fire now, uh, actually isn't, I'm not even on the, the gun a lot of times. I'm just sitting here in my room watching TV or, or whatnot. And I'm just, I use the term press, break and freeze. And I'm just pressing the trigger. I freeze, and then I just run the bolt. And I and I think it's a drill that Lindy had said too. Like I'm doing a, I'm a, making a press on every uh, exhale at the bottom, and then I'm running the bolt right. on the inhale. And it's just a right. constant thing. And I'm not even on the gun, and I'm just doing that to where it's almost. I've I've been showing people things at your classes or other stuff, and I'm talking to them, and my fingers still. I've already I've broke the trigger, and my fingers still just stuck on it. It just won't move. It's just right. a habit now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, whatever whatever you have to do, you know. I mean, Jerry Nicklaus had some you know pretty interesting training techniques whenever he was young, and we all know how fast he can pull the trigger, and you know, with consistency. And it was just hours and hours and hours and hours of dry firing, and it's it's just it's just an amazing thing. It's an amazing tool. No, that guy uh, that guy's not human though. No, he's not. He's <laughs> not. But that's. A- <laughs> Some, he makes some really good stuff. I remember the funniest video that I saw with him was whenever he did the bill drill with the pneumatic staple gun. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty good. I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him take less shots with a revolver at a thousand than a lot of us do with a rifle. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's pretty cool. Well, cool, man. Uh, another thing, another big item that we needed to get out there. And guys, if y'all have any questions on that, I'm ready to give you your avenue. Uh, okay. One of the things we talked about last time after the podcast, uh, David and I wanted to see, you know, be able to get engaged, more engaged with the people that are listening and, and like have them give us topics that you would want to hear about. And so what we have done is we have created a specific email account for the Rifles Only Accuracy podcast. And that email is R-O-A-P at RiflesOnly.com. So RiflesOnlyAccuracyPodcast at RiflesOnly.com. And it's just the letters R-O-A-P at RiflesOnly.com. That email comes directly to me and I will be monitoring it, uh, get more feedback this way. And if you guys have any questions, especially about the fundamentals of marksmanship or anything having to do with centerfire or rimfire, man, just let us know. Because that, that we set up that uh, email address specifically for the podcast. Um, use it, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because we sat down and talked, and we, and I think we're both on the same page. We can we can come up with a million different topics, but we'd rather talk about what what everybody listening wants to to hear uh, more so yeah. than just what we want to talk about. And we were getting like you know he was getting emails, I was getting emails, and then we have uh, we're on five or six or seven different podcast uh, platforms, and we have comments that we're having to go to. So this way you guys can get directly, like it's a direct line. I'm pretty sure it'll ping Jacob on his phone as soon as you send an email. Yeah, yeah, it, it will. And, uh, well, I don't know if it's going to ping it, but I checked that I checked that account twice a day. So it'll be good. It'll be good. I hope that you guys will utilize it. Remember, it's R-O-A-P. So Romeo, Oscar, Alpha, Papa. At riflesonly.com. Yeah, you, you acronym lovers, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. All right. So you had another question that someone did, or, or someone was talking to you at you went or at a match, or what the hell was going on with that? Right. We, we wanted. Yeah. That. So uh, we, I was at a match, uh, actually, one of the Sotex Club matches down here at uh, DEA Ranch. I think it's Dancing Elk, Alexander. And it's a pretty cool mm-hmm. deal. Uh, it's it's almost all natural terrain. It's real cool. You get you drive all over the ranch. Uh, you don't uh, 
you you don't have to bring your carts. You can actually drive. And uh, so, it, and it's a lot of fun. You, I mean, I think uh, we were shooting off logs and uh, I think we had a ladder. We climbed up in a tree and shot off of the tree and the, the wind was blowing anywhere from 18 to 24 miles an hour. So it was actually moving the trees. So it was a, it was a pretty cool match. Um, if you guys get a chance and you're down here, I think uh, once a quarter we're there and then we're also at Rifles Only and uh, uh, we're at uh, Coyote and uh, Arms in Edinburgh and at Diesel Deer Ranch uh, in Freer. So if you guys are ever in the area, email that uh, that ROAP uh, if you want and we can get you set up and tell you where we're going to be at, what match and everything if you want to come hang out. So what happened is I was on a stage. And I was transitioning to, I don't know, second or third, whatever the last transition was. And it was a, an Ipsic at 600 yards. So for most, for most people, that's it, a pretty generous target. And I happened to ask, I said, Hey, uh, what's my time? So I was keeping it. They gave me the time. The reason that I asked that was I want to, I want to know what, uh, what do I have left? I, it's not going to bother me. The, the clock for the most part, I'm, I'm like anybody else I can mess up, but for the most part, I, I, if they say five seconds, it's not going to change. Well, it's going to change what I do, but it's not going to make me rush. Or if they say 30 seconds, it's not going to phase me. However, if you tell me I have 30 seconds on that large plate, I'm going to take t- my time. I'm going to get my wobble down as, as perfect, as close to, you know, nothing as possible. But if you tell me that I've got 10 seconds left, I have three or four shots left. Well, now that that particular target is large enough that uh, if my wobble's a bit more, I can still get those shots off and finish the the objective because that's all a stage is. I mean, wh- whether it, we're doing something in the real world or hunting, law enforcement, or in a match, we just have an objective. And that's what a stage does. It just mimics an objective. So I want to know how much time do I have to uh, successfully accomplish my objective and uh, or if I can even finish it. You know, sometimes they might give me the time and I won't finish it. So anyway... Uh, another shooter there that's a pretty seasoned shooter and uh, I'm not calling him out by any means. Uh, He's a a good shooter and he just asked me, we were talking about it and he, he felt that it could hinder you to ask for that time or worry about the time because you can't change the time. So you really shouldn't worry about it. And we, we talked about it a little while. There was no real disagreement. It's more of a debate. And uh, again, I'm not calling him out. it, It was just an example that came up and I just thought I talked to Jacob uh, a couple days afterwards and we thought we'd talk about time and how it matters when it matters. Absolutely. (laughs) Do we worry about the time on stages? Um, You know what the answer to everything is, right? Oh yeah. It depends. (laughs) And and, and that's kind of where I went with it was, you know, it's all, it depends on there. There's I use a, I think I was telling you at work, we use a, a term called a totality of the circumstance. And I like to use that in this. It, 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 there's so many different things that go into it. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I say, you know, in the, in, in my class is that whenever it comes to precision rifle, there's two words you have to watch out for. The first one is always. And the other one is never. <laughs> no. So yeah, that's kind of one of those things, you know, if, if it's going to be one of those deals that I don't know, I think that there is, a difference on what's going on. And you already touched this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's the question of the perfect shot versus the acceptable shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, and the way I wrote it, and I, I, I made some notes after you and I spoke about this, David, and it's like the, if I am out there and I'm working on my fundamentals of marksmanship, you know, I'm having a day, a day at the range. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if it's a day at the range, you know, then I'm going to be working on my fundamentals. And I feel like that every time 
I pull that trigger during training, the shot needs to be perfect. I mean, absolutely perfect, as best I can get it. Oh, I agree. That, in, the, in the beginning, that would take me a long time to get the perfect shot. As time goes by, I'm getting faster and faster and faster at making the perfect shot. And uh, still, I'm still working on it because there's plenty of people faster than me. But I feel like that when I'm working on the fundamentals, it has to be a perfect shot. It, and, and the reason is, is because I want to maintain the neural pathways in my head for my fundamentals of marksmanship. I, I want to maintain them as, at, at the highest level that I possibly can. Um, and that, if, if I go off, and, and I always talk to students about this one, you know, you get that you're shooting out there and like, let's say you're shooting, you know, for, for uh, 600-yard target on a 12-inch plate. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you're going to shoot it, you know, 10 times, you know, because you're just practicing the wind and everything else. And then you miss. And you say, man, I knew as soon as that shot broke that I was going to miss. And to me, I believe that that's intellectually dishonest. Because if there's, I'm, I'm never going to, no one's ever more of a critic of their shooting than I am of mine. And really, before the trigger broke, I knew I was going to miss. Mm -hmm. Before the trigger, something wasn't right. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to take this shot anyway. Uh, you know, I, I still have more rounds in the magazine. I don't know what goes on in our head. But we, if we're very intellectually honest, we knew it was going to be a blown shot before we pulled the trigger. Whenever you see that, that's when you should back off. You know what I mean? Back off the trigger reset man maybe you gotta maybe you gotta crack the bolt and and get some water or come back to it or whatever but i feel like that is is so vitally important that whenever i'm out there and i'm shooting steel or i'm shooting dots at 100 or whatever i want every round to go in the middle i just want it to go in the middle and mm -hmm. if it's not really in the middle to me i call that a miss and the thing about it is i will know i will know before the trigger breaks whether it's going to go in the middle or not and mm -hmm. and i somebody else does too it's just, you know, we, we start to get into these things to where, oh, well, you know, something about this, you know, something about this, something about that. No, it's, it's pretty much the shooter. And that's, that's what it happens. Now, on the other side of that, if I'm out hunting, then it changes a little bit mm -hmm. because I want to be, I want to be a ethical hunter. Mm -hmm. Normally on, on normal ranges and things like that, when, when you're hunting, you have a pretty big target. I mean, it's a pretty big target. So then I would say, what is that acceptable shot? Like, let's say I'm up in that tree that you were talking about up at, at DEA. Yep. I got that thing moving and I'm trying to hit a white tail deer at say normal South Texas range, 70 yards. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to make that decision. I'm up here. I'm wobbling through no fault of my own, but if I go to the ground, I'm not going to be able to see over the grass. I'm not going to see the animal. So I'm going to say, is that wobble? inside what I know to be the kill zone on that animal. And if it is, it's an acceptable shot. If it's not, it's a no shoot. Does that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. Uh, some people call it, you know, we're calling it an acceptable shot. I've heard, uh, I've heard other people call it uh, acceptable wobble, stuff like that. It's all the same. Right. So that it's still going to be in there. Now it could be, it could be that at, at that normal shot at 70 yards, I'm in it, but let's, let's put the animal now at 180 yards. Okay, well, there's a possibility, just depending on the circumstances of that moment in time, that the wobble could be less. I mean, it could be more, could mm -hmm. be outside. And it's, I mean, first and foremost, I want to make an ethical shot on this animal. I want it to die in its tracks. I don't want it to suffer. Right. By doing that, it keeps my old ass from having to track them too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't like to do that. 
but we, you got to look at that. And it's been, you talk about, you know, the, uh, the extreme long range hunting crowd kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap because they say, okay, you know, that, you know, it's not really ethical to do that and everything else. Well, I would disagree. I mean, I've, I've shot, I've killed animals beyond 1500 yards. Um, but it was a perfect shot. It was a perfect day. It was, I had the perfect rest. Um, obviously the animal didn't know I was there. So I had plenty of time to get set up. I was able to dry fire on it before I, you know, loaded a cartridge in. And so, okay, success. Now, same thing. Would I, would I try a 1500 yard shot like that, you know, from that tree that y'all were shooting on? Well, absolutely not. You know, because that's just not right. It's not acceptable, but I'm not actually, when I'm hunting, I'm not actually looking for perfection. I'm looking at acceptable. And so I think that that's one of the things that, that we got to think about, you know, the same thing, the, the law enforcement, you know, type mm-hmm. crews, you know, guys that, you know, if you're taking rounds, you know, well, you, that needs, that needs to end, you know, it has to stop, but you might not have a perfect position. You might not have, you know, a perfect shot on that, but, you know, hopefully, Hopefully that never happens, but you know, it's unfortunate it does. Uh, it, it happens quite more than we like. Yeah, it happens more than you like, and especially where you work. But it's one of those things, you know, that, that behavior has to be stopped. And so you're going to go with, with what's going to be acceptable. And so you have to. And it, it's, just, it's just one of those things. I don't know. I would say, you know, back to the original question in a competition, like I've, as a match director, I, I look at things in two ways. Mm-hmm. You know, so I we have the mousetrap here and the fastest that the mousetrap has ever been cleaned with all hits on uh, one and a half inch targets was two minutes and 19 seconds. That's fast. And so that's fast. And so I think that, you know, we, we usually have a part time of, of three minutes mm-hmm. on there and most people, but if I come up and, and you look at a range book and I, we're at mousetrap and I put a two minute time limit on you. Well, here's what I did. I already know that, 999 times out of a thousand, you're not going to complete that. And mm-hmm. so you should at two. And that's when you say, okay, I've got five different shooting stations off this contraption I'm going to shoot off of. Let's make sure I just get one shot at the fourth station. But all of those shots are for points because you got someone who comes in and they'll run through it and get off all 10 shots, but only have four hits. And the next person comes in, they get off eight shots with seven hits or eight shots with eight hits because they took their time, you know, to, to get better shots. And there's really no, there's no perfect shot off the mousetrap. I mean, you shot off that. It's, oh, it's, no, it's, no. It's, if you're looking for no, perfect, that ain't it. No, that's not it. And so that's one of those things where, you know, on, on the, the match director side of it, you know, that you would have to look and say, okay, what, what's in his head? Is he wanting me to finish? Obviously not. You know, because I designed some stages like that. You just can't finish them. And, and, okay, sue me. But on the other side of it, if, if I'm on the competition side of it, I would look at it exactly like what I explained it. I would say, okay, I'm going to go. I might not I might not pull the trigger and, and, you know, all the times that I am allowed to pull the trigger. But every time I pull the trigger, I'm going to put at least one point on the board. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, another one, we had a, a, a gentleman that comes out here and he's taken he's taken the pr one and two i think 17 times and uh you know he came in i think it was the second time we were doing dot drills out there and uh he didn't finish in the allotted time and it was a it was a 20 dot drill mm-hmm. he didn't finish a lot of time and we're i'm going through there and i think he got off like 16 and i'm going through there and i'm looking at these guys and how they're shooting and I, I said hey dave i'm i'm getting ready to make an example of you and he thought oh man what did i do what did i do wrong 
And I said, you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. You pulled the trigger 16 times and you got 16 hits and then you timed out. So it's like, yes. And you had other people that did not time out who did not get 16 hits. You know, they were in the 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. And so it, there's, you know, it, even though he didn't finish and he timed out and he didn't get off all his rounds, he still had high score for that, for that particular stage. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think, uh, you already touched on it, but if anybody's listening to this competition guys and, and you want to really, a little, there was a golden, a little golden nugget in there that, that you said that we can extrapolate on is, uh, in your practice routine, I, I see a lot of people that just overlook this. They don't necessarily know on a standard, you know, where, you know, because every, most everything is somewhat of a barricade. You know, it's set up on it, get behind it. You set up the same way. A lot of people don't know how long it takes them on average to the their based on their skill level and how good they are at the time. How long it takes to get set up and take a shot, and then make a follow up shot. Or how long it takes to get set up, take a shot, and then go move into another position. So, guys, in your practice routine, uh, think about that. Work it in. That way you know, because let's say uh, you go down to rifles only, and you, for whatever reason you've never been in a match where the match director didn't give you enough time. Well, and you come down here and Jacob gives you a, a stage where he didn't give you enough time. But if you don't know how long it takes you to make those shots, then you really don't have a reference. You don't know if it's able to be done. But if I look at it and go, you know what, it takes me 12 seconds to get into a position and make a shot on a two away target. And there, you know, when I've got, uh, you know, 10 positions and you, there's a 90 seconds. Well, you know, I know it takes me 12 seconds to get in there. Guess what? I don't have enough time. Now I know, okay, I've got enough time for seven shots. I'm going to make seven good positions. I'm going to get in there and break those shots. Maybe it's six, maybe it's eight, just depending on how well I move. But I, I have a frame of reference that I know what I can and can't do. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense because now what you're doing is you're precluding yourself from even having to worry about what the clock is. Mm -hmm. Because you know that when you get to shot number seven, you're going to have three seconds left. Right. Be, you know, that particular stage. And that another, another good... Um, Resource for that is uh, what Chris Way is doing with Riflecraft. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, you know, his challenge there because you know it's, it's the different positions and you know you, you do it for you find out so much on this. I mean, I just I suggest go to Riflecraft Craft with a K and uh, and and go through and, and download his targets and start running that drill and you'll kind of you'll kind of get an idea really quick of you know what kind of shooter you are and you know what kind of times it takes you to do things like that and it's. It's the, it, we had another one that had come in. We, we know the culvert event out here, oh, yeah. you know, it, it rounds and you got, uh, on the left culvert, it's three rounds left shoulder. The middle culvert is four rounds, any shoulder. And then the right culvert is three rounds, uh, right shoulder. Right shoulder. And, uh, we did this, we, we this is a staple here. We do this event quite a bit. And, um, I, I want to retire that event, but everybody seems to like it. So I think I'll keep it. <laughs> but, no, I like shooting it now, yeah. especially now that I know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that I had a guy come in, and you know he he did the he did the match, and felt like that his his performance was you know less than stellar on that, and so uh, he came in for private instruction for one stage. That's all he wanted to work on, oh. and it was, I mean, it was just you know he I first rattled out of the box, timed him. It was like twenty eight seconds till the first shot went off, and then you know I said okay, so here's what we're gonna do. It's taking you too much time. You have a 90 second stage here and you're using up a third of it to get your first shot off. I said, so that's why we're not making it to the end. So, you know, it's going to be a left-handed shot. Okay. So you know, why not get your rifle in your left hand? 
And then you're going through there and, you know, you're, you're apt to have your scope on a little bit higher power on shooting a, a, uh, you know, a 297 yard target, you know, which is seven inches wide. It's pretty easy. Uh-huh. So, so back on your scope. And then whenever you get your hand grip on there, your finger straighten off the trigger. So it's right down the, right down the frame of the gun. So whenever you sit there, look at the target, then point your left finger at it. Then whenever you go to glass, it's going to be in your field of view. So you're not searching around for that. And that goes for any scale. Oh, yeah. You know, look, target over the top, point your finger at it because you're holding the gun. By pointing your finger at it, you're pointing the gun at it. Whenever you go to glass, it should be in your field of view unless you're up on 45 mobile power or some stupid crap like that. Keep that power down, you know, so that you can identify your target. And, you know, I always say run your power to where you can still see your graduations. And that's about all you need. You know, it, people are going crazy with these high powers lately. And that's okay, I guess. Um, but by the time we were done with, you know, I mean, I, it, hadn't even, it wasn't even lunch yet. All of these little things, like where was his bag going to go? Where was he going to hold his magazine? You know, all of these things that all of these little things, it got to where the buzzer would go off and that first shot would go off in eight seconds. And it would be a hit. That's fast. And so then all this other, I mean, he was hardly using any of his time, you know, to get set up and build these positions. And he was able to spend that time building the shot. And that goes with like what you're saying. If you, if you don't know that number, if I'm going up to a barricade and it's a step barricade and I'm back here with, you know, uh, rifle and port arms and bag Mm -hmm. in hand, I go up, it takes me 16 seconds to get a shot off, or it takes me 12 seconds to get a shot off. And then you look at it. Okay. And say, if I'm on a tank trap and my tank trap is what I have to look at, a tank trap could be anything, you know, it could be a, a, a elbow in a tree or, you know, anything you just, I mean, any, mm-hmm. they're all bare. So you know what that time is. And so then what happens is you go and you look at the time and you say, okay, I have this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. I have enough time to do it. Move on down the road. Yeah. And, uh, one thing I want to bring back when we're talking about time is, uh, and, and we talked about different scenarios outside of competition. I just want to remind guys too, that, a lot of things we we can't mimic, uh, you know, we can't mimic that, that deer about to, I mean, with a mover maybe, but we can't mimic that deer about to walk out of your field of view at night. We can't mimic people shooting at you or shooting at your buddies. So what we do, that's time. That's how we control that. We, we put those stresses on you with time. Uh, we, and if you don't have enough, you know, if you have much less time than you really need to get uh, as stable as possible and you still have to make that shot it mimics the same thing so what i i give an example to people and, and let me also say i'm not and i neither one of us are telling you how to you know how to approach this we're just giving you some you know how we do it or what we think if, if you don't want to ever worry about the clock and just get your shots off and that works for you go for it uh, this is just another way to look at it. And what I said to this person the other day, I believe I used the example, maybe it was with somebody else, but I said, well, think about a hunt. You're on a three-day hunt that costs you, I don't know, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. It's the third day, and uh, it's, you know, 6.30, 7.30, and whatever it is, it's twilight, and there's your, your animal, and he's getting ready to walk behind some brush. And you know when he walks behind that piece of brush, He's gone for the day and your hunt's over. And your wobble is well inside. It's still more wobble than you would like. And you you know you can get more stable if you had more time. However, it's inside of the vitals. You're going to be able to make an ethical shot. Well, some guys say, well, I try to make every shot, even if it's on the clock, perfect at a match. And I want to do this and I want to do that. Well, are you going to take that shot? And that, that's a personal question. If you, if you would still take that shot, then... 
it's the same thing in a match. You, if you know you have thirty uh, five seconds to, or ten seconds to get off two or three rounds, and your wobble's still in there, if you would take that shot at that deer in real life, you should take those shots at that target. For sure, for sure. I, I think that you know, and it, it goes back to me, David. I, I'm thinking that maybe the question was, you know, it, you know, there, and, and he has a point. He does. You know, That's a very good point. Yeah, whenever you're in a stage, you know, you should be thinking about the stage as far as you get, as far as you get. But there's some tools. What we're just saying is there's some tools that will let you know how far you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'll so if it's going to be okay. And that's why I use that time. It, 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 you know, other part of my notes that I put in here, you know, if your mindset is about is about the time, you know, then, you know, so be it. But go in there with some tools. All right. And if you, you look at the stage book and then, you know, say you got another couple of people that are you know shooting in front of you, you know, not necessarily looking at them to figure out how they're doing it, but going through it in your mind, how you would do it. And you have to base that on, pre- on previous experience. And hopefully you've done that previous experience with the shot timer. So you have a little bit of hard data to let you know what's going on with it, but run that stage in your head many times before the clock even starts. Um, it's what I have seen, uh, you know, some of the things that have caused people to screw up stages and timeout where it, it happened just being clumsy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of, Okay, what do I mean by clumsy? Uh, couldn't feed a magazine in. Uh, whenever they fed a magazine in, they short stroke the bolt. Or they come in and, and they would close the bolt for whatever reason, and whatever happened in their mind, they pull it back. They've already got one in the chamber, so they'd go forward, so they double feed. Um, you know, it's just creating these little malfunctions. And what the clock does is the clock makes you have those malfunctions. And then you practice getting out of them, and then you know, okay, here's the reason that my didn't, I went click instead of bang is because I short stroked the bolt. And it happens a lot. Um, dropping magazines, dropping bags, uh, you know, moving from place to place. Have a plan. Know where all your gear is going to be and when you're going to use it and how you, when you're going to put it down and when you're going to pick it up so you can move to the next stage. And whenever you go through these things in your head, then you're, in other words, in other words, the, the body can't go where the mind hasn't already been. Right. And so run it through in your mind and know exactly where it's going to be. It's just like how we got that guy from 28 seconds down to eight seconds. And it was just like, here is where, here's where I have my bag. You know, here's where I'm going to have my magazine. This is how I'm going to hold the gun. It was just all of these little things that were working together that, you know, in, in just a couple of hours, it went from the bane of his existence to like his favorite stage. And it's just, and, and that was all on him. And so just by going through there, you know, you can run these things and not have any problems about worry about the clock. Uh, so yeah, the, I go going back to the same, to the same answer is, you know, it depends what, you know, what's your point. If you're out there and you're just, you're just shooting these things because you want to have a good time, freaking more power to you. Exercise your Second Amendment right by God and enjoy it. But if you're trying to do this for, you know, doing a little bit better in the competitions, then there's tools out there. And we'll, we have we have so many podcasts to attack oh, these yeah. different things uh, in the competition side of the house, in the hunting side of the house. And so it's just, you know, if, if, the, if that's what your goal is, and, and believe me, if you just want to go and shoot and have fun, man, more power to you because at the minute that it stops being fun, quit go do something else you know because it should be fun it should actually be a blast and it's like the you know people ask me you know hey you still get buck fever when you go hunting with it hell yeah i do you know if i think i i'm gonna stop hunting because you know that's part of it now again growing up i would i would lose an animal on occasion and then you know i started to say you know what what i'm gonna do is i'm going to watch this animal i'm gonna watch it and i'm just gonna breathe and what that does, it brings, you know, gets the adrenaline out a little bit, brings down the heart rate. And so I haven't lost any animals in, in many years, but that was part of it. But it's the same thing. That was just a tool that I was able to use 
to increase my hit rate. And the competition is no different. There are tools out there that you can use to increase your hit rate and lower your speeds. Yeah, that that's basically what I'm getting at. Uh, the exact same thing. If uh, and and again, it goes into your progress. We probably should do a uh, podcast one day on like your progression as a shooter because some of the stuff we're we're telling you might be later in your progression. Some of it might be you know closer as you start. When you start out, yeah, you probably shouldn't even think about the clock. You should just practice on getting really good. It, it should almost be like you're out there practicing your fundamentals. You want to get those really good as perfect as possible shots off because you're early on in your your. And you don't want to start uh, messing those neural pathways up just because you're at a match. How, you know, down the road, you've got a bunch of matches or a lot of years shooting or you've gotten really good or whatever the case may be. You can start pulling those those tricks and tools and all that stuff out. So I think one day maybe we probably should do one on that. Like, hey, your progression as a shooter, whether it's matches, hunting or anything like that. I agree. I agree. Did you hear my pen? I had to I had to make some notes there while you were talking. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we kind of covered time. Is there anything else we want to talk about on time? I'm sure we can revisit this if somebody's got any questions. Hang on, I'm making a note. Okay. Sorry. This is for the next podcast. <laughs> I'll write this down before I forgot it because I am getting older and I'm losing my brain. Uh, my my yeah. short-term memory is just gone. If I don't write it down, yeah. it's, it's out. And I can't even remember I can't even remember the name of that supplement that I keep hearing about on TV that um, – to help your brain function, you know, people get older. And so I was like, if I can't remember the name of that supplement, I actually need that supplement. Uh, you, that's a, that's a clue. Yeah, that is a clue. All right. Yeah. I want to, I want to cover some of the things that we got coming up. Um, we have, uh, you want to talk about the Minnesota deal? So Minnesota, it is the king of 0.28 mile, I believe is the correct thing. It's run by Brian Autry. He, uh, was yep. the, uh, the interim, uh, and he did a great job while he was there. He was the interim, uh, PRS rimfire director. He's handed that off to a permanent spot now, but every year he runs a, a match out there and it's gotten pretty popular. I think he started out with a single day and, and you know, I don't know how many shooters now it's up to like two days. He's expecting, I don't know, 70 to a hundred shooters. So we, we worked it out with him. We're going to be up there. Um, I don't want to, let me pull up my calendar here. I don't want to quote it wrong, but I believe it's the 25th and 26th of August. Of August. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So the match should be, uh, pulling it up should be, I believe the 28th and 29th. So we're going to be up there doing a two day class on the 25th and 26th. We might work in some other stuff, but if you go on to rifles I believe it's uh it's on the website. Now we've already got people it, signing up. Yes, it, it is. We do have people signing up for that already. And so we're, we're really good about it. And also Mr. Autry will actually be here at rifles only on the 25th of this month. He's coming down to shoot our match. Yeah, that's going to be the, uh, we're calling it the Texas state uh, rimfire champion, uh, ship, uh, you can also sign up for that on uh, riflesonly.com. We're hoping to have a, a real good day, 10 to 12 stages or so. We're still working on that. We're definitely going to, I believe James is going to have some food there. If you guys haven't, yep. uh, you know, had James's food at Rifles Only, it's worth the price of admission just for that. Yeah, it's worth, this is Texas, you know, we'll drive four hours for a really good steak. This is, this is worth six, eight hours for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so we got really that going good. on. Um, yeah. And then we're working it out. Got some, you know, some little pri- some prizes and, and stuff. We're working on how we're going to give those away and what we're going to do. And uh, But it's going to be a lot of fun. We're, like I said, we're going to, I think it's going to be a pretty challenging, yet I think everybody will still have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We're going to, I think we have two mover stages, don't we? At least. I, I think at least two. And we're working, I think it's going to be two. Okay, very good. Well, I had a conversation with the crew in New Hampshire. And they're going to be starting up their classes up there, a uh, couple of Precision Rifle One courses up in New Hampshire. And I got a, 
a video tour of everything that they've been doing on range improvements, and it looks awesome. So if y'all go to the Rifles Only website, those courses are listed there. It's Rifles Only in New Hampshire. Um, May 3rd here in Texas, we're at, at Kingsville. We've got a PR1 and 2 starting on May 3rd, a Rimfire 1 that is on May 12th here. Um, then from there, we're going to be going up to Colorado. I got a high angle class that starts on the 7th of June. We have a Rimfire 1 class that starts on the 12th of June. However, that one's full. So we added another one on June 26th. Um, we'll have the, uh, like I said, that's the first one. Then Battle of the Coyote starts 17 June. That's a, a little miniature three day assassin's way. Um, you know, that's going to be, you know, all of your stuff, marksmanship, range estimation, target detection, Kim's game, situational awareness. That's going to be a lot of fun if y'all want to do that. Three days off the same place. You'll have some land nav in that one as well. And then on June 21st, we're doing another field craft course up in Colorado. So if you want to catch on with the, with the courses in, in Colorado or the ones here in Texas or New Hampshire or Minnesota, as it's been added for August, go to the Rifles Only website. We're planning on, uh, by the end of this month, having the fall schedule out, um, still working with uh, Voodoo and a really, really good package of rifles. If you don't have, um, if you don't have a 22 rifle and you want to participate in, you know, one of the comp one of the uh, courses, we will have rifles ready for you to shoot here. All you'll need is ammunition. But again, uh, any of those courses, like I say, the two in Colorado, the one in Colorado is already full on the 12th, but the second one's on the 26th. Awesome. And we're doing, we're doing the one on, uh, in Texas here uh, that starts May 12th, a little two day thing. So man, if y'all want to come out and, and, uh, and shoot these guns, it's really good. Uh, Voodoo guns, um, Magpul chassis, Leopold Mark V scopes. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're really, really high end, high end equipment to shoot these 22. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're still waiting on a couple components, but if you, uh, if you do have somebody that want, that needs a rifle, we, we still have, uh, we can make it happen regardless while we're building those other rifles, we have access to more rifles. So don't think that you can't come out here and shoot if you don't have it. One thing I also want to cover just because I'm going to get questions about it. We are having to uh, take the NRL championships as far off of the schedule. We had talked about it a little bit, but uh, uh, things that work, I don't want to get into the politics, but things that work in my schedule and, and other things are just going to, that's not going to happen this year. We're probably going to be, we're going to try to line that up for next year. Okay. All right. Very cool. Uh, and then, okay, go ahead. I don't think I had anything else. Uh, uh, Frank and Chris Roberts are doing a course in oh, Rosario yeah. that, Friday. I think uh, you can you can find a link to Chris Roberts' website. I, I don't know if they're full or not, um, but I know they're going to be in the area. And then um, also the guys at Dark Corner Concepts are going to be at the same place doing the, that Ultimate Sniper Challenge or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember it now. And I, I, this guy, he, I'm actually giving him permission to hit me in the head, but I need it. It's Prevagent. That's it. Prevagent. That's the supplement. Ah, okay. I was like, what's what's going on here? And that's the yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the competition. It's Real World Sniper Challenge, I believe. Uh, but, I think that's lot, what it is. I think you got it right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things going on, you know, here and uh, around the country. And uh, again, do not forget R O A P at RiflesOnly.com. That's the Rifles Only podcast dedicated email. So hit us up on that. All right. Uh, the only thing I got going is. Uh, couple other things, uh, like uh, we've already mentioned Voodoo. Uh, go check those guys out. They just released, oh, I, I don't know how I'm forgetting. Voodoo Shooter, you got to talk about this. Today, they just released their 60-degree throw repeater. So if you like a 60-degree, you're really a big AI fan, or uh, Curtis, anything that's 60-degree and you've been wanting your Voodoo, that's the one thing holding you back, or the one thing you wish you had on your 90-degree Voodoo, it is available now. 
I would give them a call and get that ordered because they are, the last I heard, they're 14 to 16 weeks out, and I'm betting it's going to get bigger with this. Um, so that's a big one. They, they already had a single shot. Now they have a repeater. Check out Voodoo. Uh, we talked about Leopold. Check those guys out. Uh, check out uh, Zero Compromise Optics. They 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 help out a lot. Uh, Fix-It Sticks. Fix-It Sticks is awesome. If you don't have a set, you're going to wish you did one day at a match. I believe you guys sell them on the website, or you can call over at we Rifles do. Only and get them. We do. We have, them at, we have them on our website. And I think that's about all I got. All right. Give us some rock and roll so we can clear this thing out. All right. Here we go. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Remember, send us that uh, Rifles Only Accuracy podcast at RiflesOnly.com, R-O-A-T. Questions, comments, concerns, sit there. We will talk to you all soon. Got another podcast little note already started, so we're going to keep going. Thanks for listening. Yep. You guys, like you said, send us an email. Maybe we'll uh, pick your topic.